Hello, and welcome to Book Chatter, the monthly book club podcast sponsored by Longmont Public Library. I'm Jana, your host for this episode, and with me today are Denise. Hi. And Devin. Hello. To discuss our latest pick, Saving Time, Discovering a Life Beyond the Clock by Jenny O'Dell. A little bit about Jenny O'Dell. Uh, she is a multidisciplinary artist and author. Her first book, called How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy, was the New York Times bestseller. Her writing has appeared in The Atlantic, The New York Times, Sierra Magazine, and other publications. She lives in Oakland, California. And in her first book, How to Do Nothing, Jenny O'Dell wrote about the importance of disconnecting from the attention economy, which uh, she uh, writes about and we'll talk about a little bit more um, in the podcast. Um, in order to spend time in quiet contemplation. But what if you don't have time to spend? In order to answer this seemingly simple question, Odell took a deep dive into the fundamental structure of our society and found that the clock we live by was built for profit, not people. This is why our lives, even in leisure, have come to seem like a series of moments to be bought, sold, and processed ever more efficiently. Odell shows us how our painful relationship to time is inextricably connected not only to persisting social inequalities, but to the climate crisis, existential dread, and a lethal fatalism. Yikes. (laughs) Saving time tugs at the seams of reality as we know it, the way we experience time itself, and rearranges it, imagining a world not centered on work, the office clock, or the profit motive. If we can save time by imagining a life identity and source of meaning outside these things, time might also save us. And this book was named a best book of the year by Harper's Bazaar, Esquire, and the Chicago Public Library. So we will give this some ratings. Devin, what did you think? I'm going to give it three stars. This was probably one of my least favorite books. And while she's a good writer, I did enjoy her writing style. I really did. And I'm actually interested in reading her other book. The topic was not very interesting to me. Um, it was kind of all, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, this this is common sense. Um, there are a few parts here and there that did really capture my attention. Um, I listened to the audio, which the narrator was lovely. It's not the author, um, it's some other lady. And then I also read the text as I was following along. And I definitely felt myself, I don't know if it's just the time of year, or what but my mind was wandering and then I realized oh I've gone through two or three paragraphs and I have no idea what I just you know read <laughs> slash listen to um if I had more time maybe or you know a different I was in a different space in my life um I might like this book more but yeah I just I didn't love it so All three right. stars <laughs> okay <laughs> how about you um I gave it three and a half part of so it wasn't like like Devin said, the writing was good, mm-hmm. um, everything. There was nothing wrong with the actual reading of it. It read very nicely. I did have some trouble with the going back and forth between the uh, information and her ongoing narrative, like personal narrative, through driving through the streets, going mm-hmm. to the beach. I kind of like that because it was sort of like, it was mixed up a little bit, right? It did break up a lot of the kind of scientific stuff yeah. and the more deep. Um, but at first, I was kind of failing to see where she was going with it. In the, yeah. In the beginning, um, a lot of descriptions. But 
I had a harder time connecting it to what she was saying in the other parts. But I did, I did like that she put it in, like you said, just because then it wasn't just so much information. I thought she was very thorough in her research and her citing and in um, how broad, because it is a very broad topic. So I think she did yeah. a really good job to, um, addressing lots of different aspects. It was, yeah, I was, I guess I had in mind more of a kind of leisure read. I think it's funny because mm-hmm. I'm talking about yeah. things and you're talking about not having it time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think if I were doing it like maybe for a class or for something with like a more direct application, I personally would have a little bit, probably give it a little bit higher star rating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just like a casual bedtime read as much, depending on how deeply you want to go into the science of it. Yeah. So I gave it three and a half. Yeah, Denise, that's an interesting point because I think the the point of the book is sort of like, let's let's disconnect from the busyness, what she calls the attention economy mm-hmm. and the product, the cult of productivity or the gospel of productivity mm-hmm. and kind of like focus in on the here and now. Mm-hmm. But then when she's writing, she's like throwing a lot of research at us mm-hmm. um, and it, it, it can be a little overwhelming and the scope like going way back. Yeah, yeah. Way back in time. So it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting juxtaposition of the research and then her visit to the beach or her visit to the arc she goes to an archives i think the library uh yeah her the mosque the mausoleum yeah yeah anyway i i enjoyed that part i give it five stars (laughs) i guess i'm the outlier it falls in the philosophy section and self-help i think i order for both of those areas i think it can be seen as both yeah i agree and the same Almost. And yeah, I was really interested in studying the history of time and how we perceive time today in our culture and kind of also going forward. She talks about existential dread, climate change, how how we can grapple with that when thinking about the future also. So, yeah, I liked it a lot. Nice. Yeah, I think it's an important book for us right now and especially in this busy time of year take something away this is what i would recommend to read to kind of take a break well let's get started with some questions so like i was saying um she does talk about like the history of of timekeeping why do you think that she starts out with that well she kind of just uses it to lay a foundation that was kind of the interesting part of the book to me um when she was talking about like correct me if i'm wrong but what i'm remembering is that kind of the I don't know, quote unquote, invention of spreadsheets was created on plantations, which is awful to think about, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I, I she basically just, she just wanted to kind of lay a foundation of how time works and what she was going to kind of talk about, um, which really piqued my interest as I started the book. And then she got into more dry things that I kind of was interested in. <laughs> I agree. Um, I'm always a big fan of history, especially kind of the least straight, less straightforward, way more obscure. So I, I did like that. I, I hadn't really thought about it because I was realizing even when um, I love documentaries and stuff, and even when you're talking about um, or listening to something about ancient time or paleolithic time I, I think i'm still putting hours and minutes and years and eons to it but if you were there there wasn't necessarily time or it was seen differently so i guess i just 
had this idea that it always was the way we're all we are used to it because it's it's just so ingrained a part of us it's so subconscious that you know for us to think in the terms that we do when we think of time or even not thinking about time it's just I don't know part of us and so I liked that she showed us different the ways that it had changed and the perspectives, the philosophies, the goals, all those kinds of things that helped shape it. Um, I think in this country, a lot of it was um, industrialization, efficiency, and really greed yeah. that yeah. shaped it. And even the discussions about daylight savings times versus not and how it's <laughs> it can get really, really nuanced, um, but for different reasons. So that part, I really did enjoy. And I think understanding you know kind of say what you to understand where you're going you need to understand where you've been yeah and maybe to avoid some of the things that you know kind of cringed as we read (laughs) kind of go "Hmm, maybe not and maybe try to not instill that so much in our next generation but you know or, or evaluate what is the positive you know what is really the good that we can pass on versus just keep doing what we've always done for the same reasons when it comes to time yeah for me it was the big thing was thinking about when the mechanical clock started, mm-hmm. yeah, like the invention of that, because mm-hmm. be- prior to that, it was more based on the, you know, the sun and the seasons and then the natural environment of that time and place. Right. And just you had a you had a project that you had to get done. Yeah. And it's like if you got done at two o'clock. Right. You know, with farming. Or yeah. Yeah. Or five o'clock. You mm-hmm. were just done when you were done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wasn't exactly. A, yeah, that was neat too. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't thought about the idea of time zones. She has a quote, it says, the very idea of time zones and standard standardization implies dominance. And I thought that was super interesting about how governments will impose time zones uh, that are really out of whack with what's going on mm-hmm. with the actual day, with the light. And, um, and it's because of domination and she talks about colonialism and the mindset of the seasons which came over from Europe whereas in California she's based in the Bay Area she's like yeah we have like maybe 20 seasons out here Mm -hmm. um which is like this plant will flower at this time and then the next month there's a different flowering and you know if you're actually paying attention you realize that the European like four season notion that has no bearing over here right Uh, depending on where you live you know Mm -hmm. they don't I mean especially there in a lot of Southern California where she talks about like it's just if you're going by weather temperature that kind of thing it's just not really there and especially that's you know a lot of agriculture happens there but it happens year-round yeah it can whereas you know a lot of other places you may have a very short growing season you may have drastic swings in temperature or different weather to delineate your seasons and then she even talked about i believe it was the navajo and the hopi like arizona doesn't have daylight savings time but like pretty much every state around it does and then even within that sort of arizona utah area kind of four corners the i believe she said the navajo do and the hopi don't Mm -hmm. have daylight savings time and they're kind of allowed i mean the indigenous people have been kind of allowed to decide what they're going to do so it, yeah, it's not even just state by state, but but yeah, it is interesting when you drive somewhere and all of a sudden it's it's four mm-hmm. o'clock and you cross 
an invisible line with a sign says, welcome to fill in the state. And all of a sudden your time is different. We're a different city in the yeah. same state. Yes. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, but all you're really doing is changing a number on a clock. Well, speaking of the clock, um, Odell points out that we often move from being on the clock at work to being on the clock in our own lives when we buy into what she calls the allure of the productivity gospel, uh, which teaches that, quote, you don't really need anyone but yourself to achieve freedom. Have you all noticed this in your own life? I have to say yes, definitely. I think one of the nice things about reading this book is that it does kind of take you out a little bit from the perspective that frankly, we're just born into in this country of, you know, just maximize, maximize, maximize yourself, your time, your money, all your stuff, like how you look, right? Am I right? If you are Activities. not doing something that you think is productive, I mean, I feel guilty. I feel guilty sitting on my couch, reading a book for pleasure or watching, you know, some junk TV. It's like, I, you know, I've got to have laundry going or, you know, if something has to be going on. And I feel like if you're not a white, rich, Western man, your time is less, it's less valuable. It just, you, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I feel. And I think you, I would also add you if you're not all of that. Yeah. You know, because like I've had conversations yeah. with my husband. So, you know, he's white man, but he's not rich. Yeah. And that's also a delineation oh, in his, especially at work, you know, all the things that they're like, just do this, just do this. And because he's good at it and he's efficient at it and he puts his whole heart into it, it's like, oh, okay, well then do this because it's the people who are more powerful, wealthy, whatever, that are just sending that down. Do you find yourself as a woman married to a man who is, you know, white and Western and, mm -hmm. you know, middle class, mm -hmm. do you have fewer hours in the day because you're responsible for taking care of your kids, doing the laundry? I mean, is that, that's the situation at my house. Yeah. No, to the sense that we've always been pretty good. Like, I swear, I swear he does laundry because that's just how it gets done. And he just takes out the trash. I am married to an outlier. Mm -hmm. he will, he's like, hey, it's trash night. I'm like, oh my God, he's amazing with yeah, this. Yeah, that's good. But... For us together, it's like, how are we going to divvy this up? And who has time for, mm -hmm. you know, and we feel like, I mean, I would say personally, individually, and for the two of us, and, and then also like if you extend the, the that circle to the family, I feel like time is a pressure. Time that's imposed, especially from other people, from outside, whether it's, and it can be anywhere, whether it's, you know, um, from work or other expectations. I mean, I mean, just the time to get the trash to the curb, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. or get it back in the house or whatever, that it's a pressure that's put on. I feel it's a burden and weighs me down versus more organizing when I do what. And so we do kind of almost it's like keeping the monkey off our back. Yeah. You know, if you can I, get this done, if I can get this done. I definitely do more, but I think my standards are different. I mean, yeah. my husband could sleep on the same sheets for three weeks. <laughs> I'm like, I know, that's disgusting. So I do it uh -huh. because I care. So I have fewer hours in the day to for myself, whereas he doesn't. Yeah. 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 I, part of me feels like this is very American. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That Because we've always had this bootstrap notion, kind of the American dream, the all the new frontiers, like wide open spaces that we could go forth and, you know, be productive on basically, Culture. right? 
and I was, this is sort of an aside, but I was listening to this podcast. Um, it's called Espanol Con Juan, and it's by this Spanish guy. And he was talking about this very thing where he said, I had to wake up, uh, you know, I was awake at like 5 a.m. the other day, and there was this guy running through the streets. And he was like, this is just, this is not how it used to be here in Spain. Like, first of all, nobody would ever go running. Like, <laughs> like extra, exercise. Yeah, okay. people wouldn't do that, like, in the streets. And, uh, and then... Secondly, like, you know, never at 5 a.m. Like, this is imported right from America. Like, mm. from definitely is a cultural shift. And I thought I thought that was interesting because it, it feels like, you know, and he was saying this, like, in the past, we used to have this idea of, like, you, it was okay to kind of, like, be in the middle, have a, have a middle-class income, have an okay job where you can be comfortable, support a family, have a car, you know, get to take a nice vacation once or twice a year. But now that's all not good enough. It's like you need to have this high powered career and you need to get up and exercise in the streets at 5 a.m. Yeah, have, have a side gig. You know? yeah. You know? yeah. 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 Which again is tied to, you know, money, economy. And then put it all on social media. Right. Oh my yeah. Gosh. And she talks about that too. What was the Japanese word for like when something's like really pretty on Instagram? It's like, oh, this is uh, Instagrammable. Um, yeah. There's two know. words put together. Yeah. And there's actually a Japanese word now that means, oh, yeah, that put that up on Instagram. I guess that's, that's really great. You know? Yeah. I um, I was also noticing having lived both in cities and lived in rural towns that there is, um, I mean, we have an overarching American perspective per se like western but i saw differences in both of those and i feel like it can it is can be easier in some ways on some levels to disconnect when you live more rural simply because there's just less pulling your attention you know it's like if you don't have a movie theater and you don't have all the entertainment and you don't have all the things you don't have a mall you don't have you're not necessarily as drawn in different directions for your time Although I would say, you know, anything online, of course, is yeah. everywhere. But at the same time, when we lived rural, there was this phrase that just, I get it because when you are tied to, you know, weather and seasons and the way the earth works, plants, animals, that kind of thing very closely, and you are your boss, like your your livelihood, everything comes from whatever you got up and did that day. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it was just cringe, when, it, especially when it didn't seem necessary to us to hear the phrase burning daylight. <laughs> you know, it's like from the second the sun cracks over the horizon, if you're not up and have already mm-hmm. had 10 things done, that we found really stressful. But our livelihoods also aren't tied to agriculture and the land and those sorts of things. So sometimes are busier than others, but they would use it in sometimes in ways that I didn't feel it needed to be um, applied, you know. Because, yeah, that puts the pressure on and it brings up the anxiety. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to get the the mail. I don't put that under burning daylight, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, so. yeah. So in some ways, uh, Saving Time is a book about resistance. I mean, I think we're kind of talking about that, like how do we push back against these cultural values that were just imbued in us, Um and uh, she writes, quote, the origins of the clock, calendar, and spreadsheet are inseparable from the history of extraction, whether of resources from the earth or of labor time from people. Do you think that Odell is right to be concerned with what she finds when, when unpacking the saying, 
time is money, which is pretty prevalent, I think, in our society. And, and how does she suggest that we can resist this framework since it seemingly comes hand in hand with our American economic system? I mean, well, I don't have a problem with the saying time is money. I mean, you I don't? Think, not really. I think it's true. I mean, I will pay people to come clean my house mm-hmm. for me because I want that time. You're purchasing time when you do that. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It can be a bad thing mm-hmm. when people are being exploited. But I'm not concerned with it. Um, But when I think what she was writing about, which is concerning, is that, uh, you know, the story of was it an Amazon worker who had to vomit in the trash can because they ran out of minutes for their break time? And the supervisor brings it over and it's like, here you go. You know, I mean, where she's kind of saying, like, when things get broken down to the very smallest amounts of time, to maximize human labor, it's turning us into machines. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's the imposition of one person on another, on another person's time. You know, it's saying like my time, whose time is more valuable, and you know, and who decides, and that kind of thing. And usually, it is whoever is higher ranking or whatever it may be. Rich, whether white, male, yeah, Western. Those are Often. the ones that are creating the systems that monitor yeah. others' work, yes. and productivity, and time, and yeah. Yeah. Your time is our money. Right. Yeah. But I agree. I agree with you, Devin, that it's not always. I think it's just we tend to think of it or maybe more of our time tends to be someone else's imposition of time as money, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Or it's a more obvious construct. But yeah, I don't think it's wrong if you need or want one over the other and it works for you. And like you were saying, you're paying someone to clean your house and you're not forcing them to, and then it's uneven or unfair or that kind of thing. I'm not making them vomit in trash cans. Yeah, it's it's definitely- To be clear, I do not hire somebody to clean my house. I do my own cleaning, but I would. Right. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong. Oh, not at all. In fact, it can be a really good thing because you're getting someone else. I'm buying time. And they may be really super good at it. So they're efficient and they're going to do it well. And that's, you know, so that can be very good. I agree. I mean, again, like what I had written for this was also the same that it can be good or bad. But I think it does tend to more often or maybe more obviously be bad. And obviously when we looked at the history you know, you were talking about the spreadsheets and plantations and things like that. It was the idea of maximizing, economizing for that. And I think it definitely was um, amped up during the Industrial Revolution because they could, they could, they could. So every invention tended to have some, or, or most inventions tended to have at least some implication or or motivation in this very thing. And can be also good but yeah it was like oh well now we can expect more and we can get more and it wasn't to to, to further in all the whole of society or of people and um yeah that was something i thought about for for a while it was kind of sad thought but along those lines there was something that i heard a long time ago that every once in a while pops back into my head and it's the idea of just being I mean, literally just stop and be. And the context of this was being with someone else. So you are in a proximity, a room, an area, a bench, whatever it is, and you don't necessarily talk or necessarily even look at the person. Um, you're just existing in a space, 
And sometimes, you know, people will say, oh, we'll take 10 minutes and, you know, and meditate or something. And it's not even the clock. It's just however long it is. And I think that's something that I, I could think about for a long time just because it's not part of our culture, where other cultures, it's very normal. That idea of just stripping away time, stripping away money, stripping away all of that and just exist either by yourself or with another human and see what happens. So I've been really, it made me think about that a lot more when I was going through this book and um, I guess want it more. Yeah. And yeah, I think we'll talk about that a little bit more in um, a question coming up about other techniques, I think, to be in the moment. Just to revisit the the idea of, um, I think we've touched on gender, race, class, and ability, and how those identities get woven into her narrative about time and how time can be different for different people. Did you, you know, come away thinking differently about time vis-a-vis gender, race, class, or ability? after reading this book? I mean, to be honest, not really. I already kind of knew that, you know, being, say, a person of color and a female and not Western and not having a lot of money, you kind of have this, you know, the deck stacked against you. I mean, that's, that's, if you've been around in the world today, that's kind of what you know. And it's, it's, Unfortunate, but that's the way it is. So no, I didn't. Um, I didn't think in a different way. I just it just reiterated what I already knew. I think it just kind of emphasized mm-hmm. for me. And one of but one of the things that kind of I guess popped in my head was um, the idea of gadgets. And it can be and gadgets are you know they can be made for any group that you can think of. But I was particularly thinking kind of like first half of the last century when um, a lot of them had to do, that, did, that weren't for, that were for um, non-work use particularly, was like everybody had all these things to do. So particularly they started being gadgets for the home and it was great, this is wonderful and I'm, you know, and it was like, hey ladies, this is going to make your life easier and better and this and that. And which sounds great, right? Hey, we're trying to help someone get their work done or get through their day or have more time. But what I wondered is, would that person have rather just had someone say, hey, let me just help you do this versus you have so much to do, but here's a gadget. So you give me your money and hopefully you'll get more time. Like a Roomba? Right. Well, or like like a ringer washing machine, like when we had electric refrigerators instead of ice boxes, or we had the microwave come out, or whatever those were, right? Like a vacuum cleaner versus beating out your rugs and stuff like that. That yes, they could have been very helpful, but was the idea behind it? This is going to just help you be able to do more of what you're expected to do because now you have more time because it wasn't necessarily seen as leisure in that context being important, mm-hmm. right? Where um, a lot of times in that era, you know, men would come home and they were tired and they'd been working and I don't share these opinions, but <laughs> but they needed to relax. 
and and yet it wasn't like oh if you get these gadgets hey maybe you'll have another hour that we can hang out or you can no. go read you have another hour to do more stuff mm-hmm. yes. yeah i think that's that's exactly right yeah i was wondering about that too i mean i love having a dishwasher oh, i've yeah. lived without one before and yeah I was like, sure. never again. I had a dishwasher um, with Wi-Fi. I'm like, what? why would anyone need this? Like, to like start your dishwasher, like, like, from home? Or from or St. From, Louis? Yeah. Or from, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not yeah. yeah. It doesn't, unnecessary bells and whistles. Yeah. But you're right. We're always going to fill it. We're, we'll feel compelled to fill it with something else, yeah. usually productive. And then she, she talks about how even when we're having leisure time, we feel compelled to, like, commodify it and put it on Instagram, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Or Facebook. And I mean, so like, what do you think is the difference that she's trying to point out between the experience economy, which she writes has expanded to include commodified notions of things like slowness, community, authenticity, and nature, and what she calls true leisure, you know, because I I mean, she's, she's talking about like people that go to these expensive retreats, and then it's all about getting the pretty photos or people that can pay to go to get these expensive treatments at spas and oh, I'm going to slow down and that, but we're still all paying but for this. But and they're not actually, they're, you know, taking 27 pictures of the same thing, trying, I mean, they're working, mm-hmm. trying to pretend like they're not give this impression that they're enjoying all this leisure activity, but they're working. And I don't yeah. know, I deleted all that stuff almost a year ago. And yeah. So I don't, I'm not, yeah, but you're right. I mean, they they took their time and money to get there, to set it all up, to plan it all out, and a lot of times that is their that is their livelihood. And so, yes, we're, maybe those few moments where they were actually having the thing done, but while they were doing that, were they not also thinking about how it was going to go down? And was it looking right? And did they do the thing? And should they add to something else? Versus like people who go sit on the front porch. Yeah. Well, like her description, when her, when she and her mom were on that volcano yeah. and they were watching the sunrise or the sunset, yeah. and everyone you know has their camera up and she's just sitting there going, "Okay, I'm am I the only one enjoying this right. in real time?" Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I think that's what that's, she's kind of coming down true. to is like, and what what all the philosophers and religious people are trying to point out is like, if you're not in that moment, you're not really alive in a way. Yeah, because you can't really live in the past and you can't really live in the future. Yeah. I mean, looking um, at a picture of a sunrise is not the same as being there and enjoying it, seeing it actually in front of your eyes. It's like the people that take videos of fireworks. What is the point of that? You really go back and watch your videos of fireworks. But everybody has their <laughs> phone up, and it's like, just put your phone down and watch the fireworks. Right. It's going to come back again in a year. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it is definitely, I, I think I always thought more about the time I spent doing than the time I spent in leisure. And I don't, you know, I don't do a lot of travel. I don't do a lot of those kinds of, I mean, our vacations are pretty basic. They're pretty much the same. Because of that, I think it affords us a better opportunity to disconnect because it's the same, pretty much the same. the pressure to like take pictures and experience. Like when I travel, I still feel that pressure to like, take a picture of this rainforest, take a picture of this beach, take a video. Right. And I upload it to like um, like the Google album that I share with family, but I've stopped putting it on social media. Just yeah. Because I do try, I do really do try to be aware of putting my phone down, and, you know, 
being in the moment, watching the experience, you know, yes. without trying to frame it or capture it. And just have it as a memory. Like when we went to Costa Rica, I was watching Carter surf, and it's like, yeah, I got a couple of videos. But I remember thinking, put your phone down and mm-hmm. watch him. Like, actually yeah. watch him. And, you know, I don't know if it made a difference, but try to be conscious of it. Yeah. I mean, do you think that you experienced it differently versus other times? I can in I can shut my eyes and picture, yes, picture it. Yeah. Whereas maybe if I was just video recording it the entire time, I couldn't. Yeah. So, yeah, I think so. It's made me think, and I've thought this for a long time, there are moments that I can close my eyes and I can see so clearly that I wish, and on the one hand, I'm not sure that we should have this kind of technology because I think it'd be pretty freaking scary, but <laughs> I wish there was a way you could just sort of like get that memory in your head, the image, the movie, the whatever, and just like click something and it would become like a data file. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like now I can show you what is in my head. Even Cause, 20 years. Right. Because there's one where my daughter's just, she's got, I want to say she has no teeth and she gives, she looks up to me and she's this huge, what I would say, toothy grin with no teeth. <laughs> Gummy grin. Yeah. And it's just it's huge. And it's so incredible. And I tried to be like, hey, do it again. And she just wouldn't. And that'll never be in print or a file or anything. But yet I find myself being more focused when I think about that memory, I think, because it is just in my head and no one else was there. Yeah. So... So to to talk about other ways of of resisting and like taking back our time of living in the moment, like not not on the clock, I guess. Um, did you did you come away with any other suggestions? I I liked her story about the beans. So if you <laughs> if you remember, she had a neighbor, I think, who had bought some beans a really long time ago at. Uh, maybe Home Depot or somewhere and and planted them and and gave gave them away and everyone loved the beans they thought they were so delicious and but then time passed and she couldn't you know find the beans anymore they weren't available so it was a story of that the beans the beans spread organically just through giving them away that she couldn't like you couldn't buy them anymore um in the store but she was i think what she was trying to say is like time like let's try to think about our time not as a zero-sum game like if I spend time with you um and I give you some of my beans and then there's all of these cascading effects of all of these people get to enjoy the beans for many years to come and they're passed around I haven't actually lost some of my time like in fact I've gained something does that make sense yeah yeah Yeah. where it's not um she talked about it was like yeah if I it's like give and take, but there was always a deficit or a loss in yeah. a way. Like what you got, right? Like it didn't really focus on what you got back. Yes, just, I yeah. Lose and money I think, or I lose and maybe time. that's kind of like what you were saying, Denise, earlier was where you like the focus on sitting with people, like focus on being with them instead of doing this task or this activity, because sometimes those ways of of thinking about spending time with people is more like in terms of commodity of this block of time yeah. instead of just being with them and being present. Yeah. And it's hard. Like it's, <laughs> it's really hard. Number one, to sort of 
push away all of those constraints and not think about, okay, I have 30 minutes yeah. or whatever, you know, because yeah. I always feel like oh, there's a cartoon, the cartoon, I think it's of the little engine that could, and I want to say it's in a Disney movie, where they're all going up the hill and they get to the top and they all like back up into each other. Or when, as soon as the train stops, I feel like that, like the train cars are all just slamming into each other while I'm trying to hold off mm -hmm. the time and the constraints and all of the other things yeah. and just not worry about it. Um, like to truly put away whatever may be coming or however long it takes or um, whatever expectations. It's mm -hmm. really hard. Yeah, and and something else she she talks about which I think can be viewed as helpful is the connection between the land and or the, the environment you're in, the space, where she talked about monitoring this buckeye yeah. tree that was neat. in that the really pandemic, yeah. that it changes and then waiting for it to flower because she really loves the scent of the flowers. And and actually, I listened to an interview with her where she said, I, I travel around with a a jeweler's uh oh loop loop yeah. because it makes me slow down and i can like examine the mosses and really look at things yeah that's that's kind of the one time a year that i do this when i'm on vacation we always go to Vail because we've had a timeshare since i was two years old so we do the same vacation some things are a little different but the betty ford alpine gardens is where i do that and i just say I'll be back. You can come if you want. Like, I'd love to have you come. And I just kind of focus in on the little tiny plants and the big ones and how would I? And I, and I do a lot of photographing. Mm -hmm. It's like the one time I really do that's not an event. But yeah, I can just be out there and smell things and walk around. That's so good and, for your mental health. Yeah. 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 Like, lay down on the ground and look up or to the side or look down and, and just kind of, yeah, and just have the. Build that in too. Yes. <laughs> and what are you paying attention to, Devin? Do you have something that you really pay attention to that kind of draws you back to that moment? No, no. I, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. No, not at this time in my life. You know, I'm, you guys know kind of what's going on. Um, but no, I don't. I don't have anything. I I have not been in touch with nature or out in nature in a while. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, that's called Denise. What you were talking about, nature bathing, oh, forest bathing, forest or bathing. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just kind of like to, really yeah. or even yeah. just take off my shoes. And just, yeah. There is nothing I like being barefoot in the grass. A friend yeah. of mine recently introduced it, me to it. It's, it's something called earthing, mm -hmm. and there's actually physical benefits of it. But like literally just standing there, kind of going, oh. Yeah. But I think too, there are seasons of life where we have more opportunity for that, or can choose more opportunity than others so just because you don't have that right now because a lot of things are going on whether yeah. it's work or outside of work that season will come back yeah so i don't think it's anything to have to like feel bad for certainly okay to long for it right. i think it's honestly because i don't have a dog to walk right now mm. oh yeah yeah that could be yeah. a good a good one Absolutely. yeah uh, being with your pets just petting your your uh -huh. cat or your yeah. playing with your dog i was the dog walker um, and I'm not living with her right now, but when we do live together, I always would take her for a walk every day. Yeah. Um, and that was great. And I think maybe three times in my whole life, I was like, I'm going to leave my phone and everything at home. Yeah. God, that's a weird feeling. It is. That's a really weird feeling. It's like oh, not even having a limb or something. It's, mm -hmm. I don't like that I feel that way, but I do. 
Yeah. yeah, because that phone is like your, our tether, right, to all the to-do lists and the constant right. email streams right. and all of that. And yeah. I yeah. use it on the like listen to podcasts or listen to music or like, um, you know, record my route, you know, using mm-hmm. some kind of app. Um, yeah. And then, of course, in my head, I'm like, what if something happens? See, I need to call somebody or like I need to call 911 or, or my husband to come pick me up. or Yeah. And n- nothing ever happened and nothing ever happened before when I didn't have a phone. Right. And you, I don't know, but yeah. I think that's yeah. that's definitely why yeah. having a dog to walk. I've been gardening a lot more in the last couple of years, and I think that that helps me pay attention to the seasons. Like I put in a ton of bulbs, and now now I'm just waiting, and there's like that anticipation, and I think you know it makes you appreciate it more, and I think it makes you kind of like slow down a little bit to pay attention like okay now this is coming up and now I'm waiting for this to like open up and yeah. I'm now waiting for the next thing yeah um, I agree yeah. as soon as gardening season's over I'm just like okay <laughs> and when is it March yeah, yeah. but <laughs> it's, it's neat to think about all that stuff that, that I put in the ground yes you know that it's just sitting under the snow Looking yeah yeah, yeah. and so. also that the time it's underground mm-hmm. is not nothing Mm -hmm. A lot. I mean, things Mm -hmm. are happening, even if they're not things you could see or measure. That is, uh, it's uh, number one, it's outside of a clock. And number two, it's necessary. That bulb has to sit in the cold ground or in the cold for a certain amount of time in order for it to be triggered to or signaled to start growing. And that's something I've been learning in my gardening is just certain things have to be striated or have to be whatever, you can't just take that seed and put it right back in the ground and have it immediately have something happen. So it's it's kind of interesting to think, oh, it's doing things. And that time I'm waiting is actually good time. It's actually productive for the, not, maybe not for me, but for that thing that I'm waiting to happen. Like the period in between has to be there yeah. first. And then you experience it more deeply, I think. Yes. Whereas if it just was automatically there. Yeah. You don't have that same investment in it. Right. Well, um, just to wrap up, I mean, are there any last um, comments about this book or any any way that it, it changed your thinking or understanding of time or how you might live in the future? Well, you know, reading ahead these questions, when I read this question, I was like, no, I don't really think it'll change how I live. But talking about picking a spot and noticing the difference over time. I think I have some house plants and I have some outdoor plants at home. Um, I think I will try to do that. I have an iris that randomly blooms just every once in a while. Ooh, cool. And I think something's happening with it. I noticed a little green thing. So I'll, I'll try to pay more attention to that Yeah. from now on. But nice. um, And I also am sort of interested in her other book. Um, How to Do Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I kind of want to read that. I too. think that probably would be more interesting to me than this one. Because yeah. I do like her style of writing. She's not a, she's not a bad writer no, at all. Not at all. Yeah. I, I think just the awareness overall. I mean, just moments during the day, throughout, you know, when it comes in your mind, oh, yeah, you know, I just, just even to stop and acknowledge, mm-hmm. you know, um, whatever may be happening at that moment or things like that. Um, and I've always said I want to be more in the moment. And I think a lot of us do, and it's a struggle. But, it's a struggle. Um, it is with these phones. It yeah, is. They're addictive. And I think, too, with just schedules. If you have other um, 
other responsibilities outside of work and home. Like I volunteer in the community and of course my kids do things. So it is a lot of like what's happening tonight and we're going here and we're doing that. And do we, are we ready for this meeting mm-hmm. or this, you know, event? Yeah. And that that's not bad, but are we also balancing? Mm-hmm. Like just again, awareness of balance, awareness of moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would, one last thing I guess that just came to me was savoring. I yeah. don't know if she talks about this in the book, but it feels like it's something that that we could do to kind of slow down because oh, I was looking at something the other day and it was like, what happened to the lunch break? What happened to lunches? Like like yeah. actually eating. And yeah. I remember when I lived in France, like um I was working in a high school and they actually had this beautiful cafeteria that served like horses. Um, for all the teachers wow. and the students and you had a break and you actually sat down and you ate together and uh, and there's just like more of um, a recognition of like we need this break we need this time to disconnect from from the work and the constant to do and oh, part yeah. of that is connecting to your food yeah it helps with health and like obesity and stuff. yeah just mindlessly because I'll eat at my desk while I'm working yeah and, and that's not good yeah so yeah, that that could just be another way to kind of connect, like what with what you're putting in your body. Just being, <laughs> yeah. and, and in yeah. a way too, that savoring smacks in the face of what they talked about at the beginning of the constraints of time. Right, it's kind of a way of bucking it and right. taking it back. Because yeah, in the military and other places, it's like oh, you have to eat as as quickly as possible. Right, right, so that you can move on to your next task. So kind of like saying, how do we resist that? Yeah. Um, Resist all the efficiency and the pressure and say, you know, no. And savoring it, I think it's almost that step further, that really kind of smack in the face of we need, you know, of trying to give, having to be more expected or required. Yeah. And just be like, nope, it's okay. This is enough. It's okay. If it's not the most, it is enough because of the enjoyment that's important. Right. Not just the calories. And and don't take your phone to the dinner table, people. Uh, we do because we show <laughs> no, each other movies. We show each other videos. That's the only reason we're like, you gotta see this video. You gotta see this video. But otherwise, yeah, yeah you're right. Well, thank you, Denise and Devin, for a thoughtful discussion of Jenny O'Dell's book, Saving Time. For our next episode in 2024, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's 2024. That's crazy. Um, we'll have a teaser for what to expect from us in the new year. So stay tuned and thank you for listening to Book Chatter the book club for busy people and happy holidays.